This is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So, Kate, today you go first. What is astonishing you? Um, well, we, you know, astonished is not always good, although mm. we try to be very aware of how God is moving and celebrate that. Um, but sometimes you just have to be astonished and call out what is broken and tragic and um i just am astonished and really um speechless about this um murder of this um young woman tatiana jefferson in dallas and Fort Mm -hmm. fort worth and she was in her home um on Saturday night playing video games with her eight-year-old nephew Mm -hmm. and a neighbor had called a well check in because her front door was open and the two police officers came up late. I mean, it was like after midnight Mm -hmm. and they, instead of going to the front door and knocking, they crept around the house and they didn't announce themselves and um, they saw her standing at the window and the one officer said, put your hands up, let me see your hands. And then he shot her and killed her. And she was in her home, home. in her own home and doing, I mean, there was no, you know, and every time you think you've seen as bad as it can be, it gets worse. I mean, you think what could be worse than Botham Jean sitting in his own home and a police officer coming in thinking she was in her home and shooting and killing him. But now Mm -hmm. you have a police officer in uniform sent out to do a well check. And so absolutely this police officer knows that he's not at his own home. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I just... And as the reports say, did not identify himself as law enforcement. And just, I guess I just am astonished that um, for so many people, I'm just, I'm astonished that the world hasn't stopped over this. Like I'm astonished that so many people seem to be processing it with a well or these things happen or, you know, and obviously if you're a white person, you can, you have that option because it probably is not going to happen to you. Um, And I guess I just am astonished that in the, church of jesus christ that christians aren't standing in solidarity with people and saying it's not acceptable that Mm -hmm. people that we pay to serve and protect so i mean let me say i am grateful that the officer was arrested i am grateful that the officer was charged with murder i am not grateful that he is out on bail um Mm -hmm. I just, I don't, I don't know how the center can hold. I don't know how we can live together in any semblance of civility, civilization, order when we have institutions that are murdering citizens and and a vast majority of people 
don't seem to care. And I guess I don't know that white people don't care, but they, I don't see enough white people speaking out about it. And I just... And why do you think that is? I think that most white people function... I mean, there's so much guilt and shame mm-hmm. about what white Americans and what institutions controlled by white Americans have done to Native Americans, to African Americans. And I think that the majority of white Americans don't know how to carry it. And so they try to carry it in one or two ways. One is, you know, for an extreme and dangerous minority to outright deny it mm-hmm. and re cast themselves in the role of the victim in the story. Um, and that I think is the white supremacy ideology. Um, I think a lot of people try to carry it by denying that it's real or that they should feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just ironic for me. Like I, I understand why a typical American citizen can't carry this because, you know, we are, we grow up, learning one thing about people grow up understanding that their identity is their nationality and running learning one thing about what that nationality is and what its values are and what it has accomplished and done in the world and so to to then encounter an entirely different story in a way that I mean we we always knew in theory maybe that these kinds of egregious miscarriages of justice happened but we didn't we didn't have body cameras. We didn't have cell phone videos. And so because the miscarriages of justice are so literally unbelievable, a lot of white Americans didn't believe them. And now we no longer have the option of not, I mean, we are faced with a level of proof that we never had to encounter before. And so people just don't know what to do with that cognitive dissonance. And as a secular citizen, I understand that. But as people of Jesus Christ, I mean, we have tools for understanding where our identity is, where mm-hmm. our worth lies, for understanding, you know, the sinfulness and brokenness of humanity so that we're not supposed to be surprised or offended by it, but mm-hmm. able to acknowledge, like, yes, mm-hmm. I understand what power does to humans. I understand it since Adam, I mean, well, since uh, Cain and Abel, right? Mm-hmm. I understand how the myth of violence has been used by humans. And I, but I just think so many of us understand our right place with God based on our virtue, even if that virtue is just, I chose and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that we don't, you know, we don't have a way to incorporate this heritage of violence and brutality and systemic injustice that we've benefited from. And so I just, you know, I just think a lot of white people don't know how to talk about it and don't know how to listen, like just don't know how to sit in a conversation. I recognize the irony of this since I'm talking, not listening right now, but don't know how to sit and listen in a conversation to African-Americans and people of color saying, this is my experience. And I can't answer that. Like I don't have an answer for what happened to a Tatiana Jefferson, Mm. but I also don't have to change the conversation. And I just... I want to say one thing. I um, follow a woman, an, an African-American activist who's local named Allie Henney, and she wrote this. 
I keep saying, I keep seeing Atiana Jefferson's face and I keep seeing the faces of women that I know who are at her age or close to her age. I keep thinking of all the times that I've heard a suspicious noise and went mm. to look out the window to see what was happening. I keep thinking about how this summer when the cops busted into the house next door and arrested my neighbors, that I was thankful that they had gotten the right house because I don't know what would have happened to me if they had burst in on me when I was sitting on the sofa next to the front door studying. I keep thinking about whether I would have had time to tell them that my children were upstairs before they shot me, whether they would have believed that my name is on the mortgage. And then I wondered, even while living under the specter of Botham Jean's murder, whether I was being irrational for thinking these things. And then a Tatiana was gunned down on a, quote, wellness check, and I realized that none of my fears are irrational. I realized that just a couple of weeks ago, someone could have called in a wellness check when my five-year-old got hurt playing in the backyard and my husband forgot to shut the back door in the middle of the drama, and it really was just drama. She lost her mind over a scrape and subsequently left my two-year-old and I alone in the house while they went out to calm down. I could have gotten shot while watching Netflix with my child. And I realized that even while sitting on my exercise ball in my kitchen with my front door in full view, the cops can break in at any moment and kill me. I could be shot through my kitchen windows while drinking a Topo Chico. I don't know what that is. Mm. My home is my sanctuary, but will it also become my tomb? Mm. I mean, I don't know what it looks like to love your neighbors if you're not listening to people carrying that burden and saying, like, how do I help you carry it? How do I use the power that I have, the voice that I have to say, you know, I don't feel that level of fear in my house and it's unacceptable to me that anyone does. And we have to be talking about this. And, you know, we at The Grove just passed up, finished up a series on neighboring, but I think all over Charlotte, people are doing a neighboring series right now. Like what, what does it mean to talk about being a good neighbor and not talk about this? Mm. Um, because, I mean, that's heartbreaking reality. And you just feel like the world should stop for that. I mean, the world should stop for what's happening in Syria right now in so many places. But this is our community. Yeah. And, you know, anyway, so. It seems to me that one of the things that um, may stop uh, white people from speaking or being engaged is that it seems to me that we live in a time in which you're either for this group or against another. And if you were to speak out against police shootings, it automatically means you're against police. Right. And we have come to the place where our civil religion, our American religion, our religion, our worship of the country is so strong that it's socially more acceptable for you to deny Jesus than to deny the civil religion. And I, I think, at least from the outside of the white world looking in, that that's part of what's holding white Christians in bondage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had a situation um, just a couple of weeks ago. I was mowing my lawn and um, had, my, had my headphones on and uh, Bluetooth and was going to turn the volume up using my phone and I have a new iPhone, and I didn't know, and I thought I was hitting the volume button. I didn't know that if you press the power button several times, it automatically calls 911. Oh. Yeah. And so I thought I was turning up the volume, and I kept hitting it. 
because it wasn't going up while I was cutting the grass. And next thing I know, I hear a ringtone and hello, this is 911. Like fear all over. Yeah. And so I explained to the operator who to the operator who was very kind the situation and she said to me, "Well, we still need to send someone out." Now, <laughs> That should not cause me to fear, but it did. I'm yeah. like, holy cow. I mean, so I, I don't know. Did I finish? I, I went in. I cleaned up. I just wanted to say, look, I live here. This is my yeah. house. I want it to be presentable. And when, before the officer knocked on the door, I made sure, like, I was outside. I was, I don't know, trying to be as non-threatening as possible, yeah. but that is the reality. Um, and personally, that's not my first encounter when I was a seminary student. And, you know, yeah. you know how nerdy I am. I like, <laughs> <laughs> every day it's khakis and a button-down, and that's how I dressed in seminary. And um, I would walk through... Um, What's that great park around the seminary? Um, Cherokee? Is that Cherokee right? Park, yeah. yes, in Louisville. And um, um, I would get followed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started telling my classmates, I was like, does this happen to you? And no. And it finally got to someone uh, in uh, the administration of the seminary, and they made some calls on my behalf. Say, look, and, and I was, at the time, the only African-American Presbyterian student living on the campus, and so, you know, I stood out, but that was 91, 92. Right. You know, right. it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't that long ago. No. Uh, and I actually, think, no, it was like 94, 95, because I graduated in 96. I think I'm just, we're preaching through Amos right now um, at the Grove, and I'm so, think all the time about that encounter between Amos and Amaziah, mm. and Amaziah is the the priest of the civil religion, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. He says, literally, this is the sanctuary of the king. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. But what he says to Amos is, you need to leave. And what he says to the king is, the land can't stand his words. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like, like it seems for a lot of white Americans as though we can stand a certain amount of African-American citizens being murdered by the police. But what we cannot handle is talking about it. Like that, yeah. like, you know, like we don't, it, it does not disrupt or cause great anxiety. The mm. fact that it happens, but people get so angry that if anybody dares to talk about it, I mean, for mm. all the reasons that you said, and just to, you know, to be able to say as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. I mean, before I think we even talk about it, we, we white Christians need to listen and just create space to listen for our neighbors and this burden that they're carrying and, and to just recognize, I mean, it, I don't think it takes much imagination to think how much your quality of life would be decimated if you had to carry that reasonable fear and you had to work all the time to do. I mean, and I just, um, I'm just astonished and disheartened yeah. at how little disruption this causes and just praying for the church in the Dallas Fort Worth area and especially for white you know Christians in that area to be able to say you know I want to put my body 
on the line um, in talking about this mm-hmm. when I don't quote have to yeah. um, because I do have to yeah. because whatever happens to one part of the body of Christ happens to all parts of the body of Christ and if there are people who are outside of the body of Christ being mm-hmm. you know murdered in this way and we inside the body of Christ don't care then that's blasphemous I mean we're not yes. we're not saying to, if we're saying basically, you know, if you live or die, that doesn't matter to us or justice, injustice, it's all the same to us as long as we're not personally invite and that involved, then we are blaspheming the cross. So that is what it's I was trying to look up the video on YouTube on my phone, but um, last week in my, my YouTube feed, uh, this like three minute clip of a Baptist preacher, a white man, middle aged, well, I'm a little older. He's oh, probably, I know who that is. It's uh, George I, Mason. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, calling out racism, mm-hmm. and um, it was really good. I was I was shocked. I didn't know what I was going to get when I when I clicked on that video, and um, I thought, well, there there's someone being courageous. Yeah, and I do feel like I, you know, you want to be really thoughtful as a white person when you are um, trying just trying to figure out what it looks like to be anti-racist, to be an ally. And that there are times, I think, especially when you're talking to other white people, Mm -hmm. it makes sense to say you need to be the one to like get your people and say this, this is why this matters to us. But then also in, in public, public spaces, not needing to be the one who talks, right. That knowing that there are plenty of really incredible, powerful visionary leaders from within the African American community and other communities of color that are that are more than capable of standing up and saying this is what justice requires and yeah. Um, so yeah that's what I'm astonished about and just grieving about and yeah and I feel bad because it happened so late on Saturday that I didn't I did not acknowledge it on Sunday morning because I really I didn't know about it yet and so I just well anyway. and and sometimes I I like to let a story sit a minute mm-hmm. um, before saying something and, and and sometimes I I don't because I'm an African-American pastor mm-hmm. of a historically white congregation I will not say something publicly at least from the pulpit but for me it's much more effective it seems if I'm with a small group a Sunday yeah. school class a women's group because then we can have some some dialogue well, and I also, like, I'm really cognizant of the fact that, like, I mean, there are certain very much lesser things that you have to deal with as, I mean, as a white woman in leadership that people say and do things that are just uncomfortable and inappropriate and personally, like, humiliating for me. And I mm-hmm. don't, I don't want to talk about them publicly because I don't want to go there. I don't want to put do it. you I mean, think... Do you think talking about some things publicly as a woman reinforces the thing? No, I just feel like the thing already happened and I don't want to drag that into... I don't know. I mean, I guess the connection I'm making is like, I can understand why as an African-American pastor, it's not like it is a privilege to have a relationship in which someone would be willing to be vulnerable enough to say like, this is the the fear that I carry. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I don't feel like white communities like should expect that or demand that from, from people of color, but really, you know, thinking more about, um, what 
I, I don't know. I mean, it's just tricky because I, I can going. understand yeah. like for you, yeah. I, I don't think it's very fair to say you should have to stand up in the pulpit and like emote every time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a person of color is gunned down. And also just because you're not standing up there emoting, I think far too many white people will look at that and from it take the cue that like, well, he seems to be okay. So He's it fine. must not really be that yes. bad. Right. Yes. And that is the danger. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that, that you or any other person of color should have to like, bear like all this emotional labor and do you know and also i think it's tricky because because again the burden of guilt and shame and frustration and powerlessness and accountability just all that toxic mix of emotions is so heavy for white people that we like just naturally you're going to look for any reason you can find to think it's not really that bad Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's a really tricky thing and i think it puts people of color in like who are in the minority of particular communities. There's just a huge burden on like one of the great lessons I learned in seminary was that it's not my job to fix the white community. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I thought it was my job when Mm -hmm. I was, and talk about getting to a place of burnout, Mm -hmm. anger, discouragement, despair, Oh, no, my job is by the power of the Spirit to be in relationship mm-hmm. and to discern when to speak mm-hmm. and when not to speak. Right. But always, I got to keep on living. <laughs> right? Sure. Because, pe- because I'm very aware people are watching. So I have to choose when I speak about an issue and when I don't speak about an issue. Because uh, I can't go, I can't address every issue. Right? right, every situation, everything that comes up on the news, and I can't be silent all the time. Right. And so yeah, and you can't. Is key. You have to. I mean, you have to, but I mean, there, there's an element of like self care involved. Like Absolutely. you can't live yes. at DefCon yes. seventeen mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. of. I mean, sometimes I think denial in some spaces can actually be a healthy mm-hmm. coping mm-hmm. mechanism to be able to say you know, whatever today I'm choosing to turn, like acknowledge this and then leave it and focus on the joy of the Lord. I I say that as a white person, maybe talking about people of color, not, it's not okay for a white person to be like, sure. Oh, I acknowledge it, but now I'm over, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a different, mm-hmm. that's a really different thing. And that's what I think makes multi-ethnic communities so um, challenging because I think we have so few examples of what a healthy multi-ethnic community looks like and also to just accept that there's there's going to be tension. Well, and those communities, what's so beautiful about them is that they, um, when times are tense and troubled, they can be a safe space mm-hmm. so that those who need to listen can have ears to hear, as mm-hmm. Jesus says, and those who need to speak can speak... Um, Without the need to try to fix, you know, or 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 be on display or emote for the sake of emoting, that there can be a safe space for everybody, and there can be real healing. But mm-hmm. there are not enough of those communities, mm-hmm. especially if the community is really authentically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, there's mm-hmm. just this real. Um, visceral felt experience of our own um, collective in terms of humanity, powerlessness and culpability 
you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so we can find a common well, ground there. Listen, this is why it's easier for white evangelicals to focus on abortion, mm-hmm. right? Because abortion is, it's, it's, it's that over there. It mm-hmm. really has nothing to do with us. We're trying to fix that thing over there. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to look at racism. It's hard to look at police violence against mm-hmm. people of color because in some way that affects them as well. And, or, or they're, they're, Cause they're we're a system yeah. and we're part That's of that right. system. Part of that system. Right. And I think we're so, I think as white people, there's this idea of like, okay, if we get rid of the system, mm-hmm. what if what replaces it is worse? Mm-hmm. And what if in the new system, you know, white people are on the bottom and people of color are on the top and I don't want to be shot in my home by, I mean, you know, there's just yeah. this idea of like yeah. whatever humans create, somebody has to be the loser. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want it to be me. Wow. And so that's why it's so important to have a community that's focused on kingdom thinking. Correct. Because that kind of thinking where someone has to be on the top and someone has to be on the bottom, that is just toxic. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's really the heart of a lot of this. So what are, <laughs> what are you thinking about? Oh. It's hard to well, transition from that. Yeah. On a, a lighter note, um, I am thinking about and astonished by um, the fact that today is the eighth anniversary of the day I married Han Suk Lee. Hey! Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. I was and, there. Uh, and you were there. I was there. Yes. Yes, at our wedding. And, um, and it really is a start. <laughs> oh, can I just tell everyone who's listening, <laughs> all the tens of people who were listening, what I loved about your wedding so much was um, you read passages of Song of Songs to each other <laughs> and some of them were really funny. Like, yeah. I mean, there was just this like joy and levity and humor, but it was all so deeply um, centered on, you know, on the gospels. But mm-hmm. yes, that I just, it was so fun to hear the Song of Songs proclaimed in a sanctuary in the yeah. context of a marriage. But I can't even remember what was funny. Like I sort of remember something about like, Teeth, something well, about <laughs> her teeth, um, something about my long hair, and my hair is really short. So, and at that point, my, uh, she read something about you know my long locks or something, and and at that point, uh, my best man reached over and touched the top of my yeah. head. So we, one of the things we do every year on our anniversary um, is in the evening um, because we we you know we didn't do a big reception, we didn't spend a lot of money, we didn't even, we did not even have a wedding cake, mm-hmm. and so we. We buy a cake or cupcakes, oh, nice. and we watch our wedding video, right? So Aww. that's what we do every year. So, that's um, very nice. so when we get to that part, we love that part of the ceremony where we're reading uh, Song of Songs to each other. And when I presented the idea to her at first, she was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great, love it." And, and then, then she read some And songs. then a week out <laughs> from the wedding, I was like, "Well, here's the text," and she said, "Oh." We can't do this. Yeah. I was like, why? She's like, my parents, parents are going to be, be there. Yep. So yep. we did some editing. Yep. Uh, yep. But uh, it was still a lot of great. fun. It, it was, was really great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 And you know, the reason I'm astonished and just, you know, thinking about, you know, being married and, you know, our anniversary, it's not, you know, I'm astonished because we're still married, but I when I first received a call to ministry, I thought it was to the monastic life. Right, right. And so I seriously thought about that and 
then came to the point where I thought, well, no, I, I really want to be married at some point. Yeah. And so I, <laughs> I tried really hard in my 20s uh, to find someone to marry and to get married. Mm-hmm. And then in my 30s and nothing. And so I was in my late 30s and finally I said, you know what? It's not happening. Maybe I missed the whole calling. Maybe I was supposed to be a monastic. <laughs> and uh, that's when a friend of mine in D.C., Melanie, said, you're, you're coming to D.C., and I think God wants you to be on eHarmony, and you're going to find your wife, and I'm going to help you write your profile, and I'm going to choose your pictures, and we're going to do this. Yeah. And, um, and it was great, and I was scared out of my mind because, you know, I'd have been in ministry for, what, 12, 13 yeah, years? A long time. Yeah. And I thought, okay, the last thing I need is for someone to see my profile yeah. Right? And go to a member of my church and say, hey, isn't this your pastor on yeah, eHarmony? Yeah, yeah. Let's yep. see what he says that's about you, himself. That's what? why you used your alias. Like, that's, oh, that's right. I did not use my um, first name, Yolando. I used my middle name, Dwayne, which is what my mom and dad called me. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah. So after our first date, she went to uh, Google me to check me out and She's like, this guy, I, I can't find anything about you. <laughs> Who are you? Which is sketchy. Yes, Which is a, sketchy yes, in a different way. Yes. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm grateful for this, um, this arena, this laboratory um, called marriage. Because I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at the, the work of the spirit in terms of my own sanctification. Mm-hmm. Cause I, you know, you have a certain view of yourself, yeah. especially when you live alone. I could go and do ministry and then walk through the door of my house and do what I want when I want. Mm-hmm. But when there are other people in the house, you realize, Oh, I'm cranky more often than yeah. <laughs> I thought myself to be. And yeah. so, um, it's been great being married to her um, specifically because she's wonderful and spirit-filled and um, yeah, God's just really used our marriage to uh, do some refining work in me. So that's what I'm thinking about. That's what is astonishing me. And that's really great. I got to go pick up a cake or some cupcakes later today. That's you know? really nice. That's really nice. Um, so what are you thinking about? I am thinking about um, trying to pray and discern and plan um, worship themes for the Grove in 2020. Making so, me look like a slacker. Well, I mean... It is October, and you're already planning your preaching for 2019. 2020. 2020, and I am behind. I don't... I mean, I, you know, I just think it's just this interesting space of... And we've talked before about, like, how easy it is how unscandalized we are by the incarnation, like by the idea that God was made flesh in Jesus. Like we're Mm -hmm. so used to that idea that it doesn't have any real power anymore to shock us. Mm -hmm. But, but the incarnational nature of ministry is really uncomfortable. I mean, just this idea that like, you know, I, I need what happens in worship, what happens at the Grove in 2020. I need that to be, the spirits, hmm. you know, full. I mean, I need that to be God's will and God's wisdom and yeah. God's choice. Yeah. And and yet, you have this role where 
you are the pastor. And so you can outsource that and mm. sort of <laughs> go to the the book mm. of from the experts, from the denomination and say like, okay, what? But I mean, most of us, when we, and I'm not anti-lectionary. I mean, I've preached lectionary for many years of my life. Lectionary is a series of biblical texts that rotates every three years. And so lots of mainline um, preachers will preach the lectionary. And there's some really good stuff about that. Mm-hmm. It means that the body of Christ in a lot of places is hearing the same scripture on the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does tend to protect against a pastor sort of only preaching his or her favorite, right. whatever. Um, but I think a lot of times we we preach the lectionary as though it were holy in and of itself. And, <laughs> you know, it's not. I mean, it, any right. it's not any more holy than me sitting down at my table and praying asking and the spirit, spirit to lead you to, you know absolutely and and then sort of you know looking at this next level of identifying key people in the congregation and saying you know this is what I'm this is what I'm sensing or what I'm seeing or what I'm planning what's your wisdom on mm-hmm. this and um, and it and it's uncomfortable to have that level of responsibility I mean kind of your instinct is to like CYA right it's like you just want to you know, grab something from somewhere else, sure. some expert, so that it's not your responsibility if it mm-hmm. goes poorly. Um, but, but I mean, it's incarnational, right? Like yeah. God doing God's work in partnership with humans like us. Mm-hmm. And I think we as pastors need to be willing to pull back the curtain on that for people in our congregation because that's the whole thing about coming alive in Christ is having this audacious and foolish belief that God is going to do God's work through you in partnership with you. Like that's crazy. Yeah, It's also the incarnation and it's interesting how comfortable we are with it in the advent of Jesus, but how uncomfortable we are with God still showing up and working in that way and how much more comfortable, even though in the Protestant church, like we're very (laughs) anti-Pope, but, but we're very much more comfortable with the idea that experts and authorities in a room somewhere can do this work of discerning on behalf of everyone and then pass it down. But when it comes to you, you know, saying like, God, I mean, I need you to, I need you to lead me and I'm I'm uncomfortably aware of how much of myself is still in the equation in the discernment process and yet like what's the alternative right I can say and you got to learn how to do it I mean you do have to learn how to do if it if you don't yes. do it you won't learn how to do it right so that is what I'm working on right now and trying to um trying to take seriously my responsibility to really show up for that and think and also trying to um, really create lots of space for listening, which I'm not good at, obviously, (laughs) um, discerning. And um, so that's... So I have to say, one of the things that's so great about our friendship, it's like I know a number of very extroverted people, but you're probably... I think you're probably the only extrovert that I know that is really self-aware <laughs> about, you know, being an extrovert and what extroverts do and, you know, some... But as uh, my friend Rebecca <laughs> says to me in deep love, she'll be like, knowing that you need to listen 
is not the same as listening, oh, right? Like just well, knowing it well. is not as as someone once said, knowing is half the battle, <laughs> but the second half really matters. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. What are you preaching about? Because oh. Because it's a monumental day. Yes, it'll be a Sunday, uh, the first Sunday beyond Philippians. And we are starting a new series looking at overcoming um, negative emotions. Um, And so we're starting with uh, depression. And we're looking at Psalm 42. Why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God? And uh, so we're going to, one of the things I like about that text is that there's a little note under Psalm 42 that says a, a masculine. And the scholars think that that word means that it's a song that's meant to instruct us. It's meant mm-hmm. to teach us. And so that just makes me think of, you know, when we were kids, Saturday morning, the schoolhouse rock songs, yeah. right? So it's a, like, I'm just a boo. Yes. Like, I passed a high school... Junction. (laughs) That's right. I am going to really regret this. I'm never going to listen to this podcast, so it's okay, but... I was thinking about this this morning on my way in, driving in, and I started singing the the preamble song, the preamble to the Constitution, and I was like, oh, I should do that. How's that go? No, I'm not going to do it, (laughs) because I started singing it in the car, and I thought, I should do that, and I thought, no. I'm not going to do that. I know. Sometimes I do things and I think, wow, I've gotten way too comfortable in my own skin. That's good discretion on your part. Uh, But this psalm is a song that teaches us how to work through our spiritual depression. And it's really about, number one, acknowledging our need for God and then really kind of preaching the gospel to ourselves. Because so often we see the gospel as something that only people who do not yet believe need. Mm-hmm. But if we will be intentional about reminding ourselves of who God is, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that that is a way of encouraging ourselves. And again, I, I love the, the the nature of this psalm is the, the psalmist is have a conversation with the psalmist's own soul. Mm-hmm. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. So that's what we're looking at on So Sunday. that, I know that, I will love that sermon, and I know you well enough to know that. I mean, A, I just think it's really important for us to realize that even before the advent of, quote, Western civilization Mm -hmm. and the professionalization of mental health care, which I'm in favor of, um, that that God provided for God's people Mm -hmm. to, you know, spiritual tools to... um, you know, for, for moments like this, that depression is a part of the human experience and it always has been, and it happens to people God loves and people who love God. And so norming that is really important. Um, and I think it's really important for people to recognize that as much as we would never, ever discourage someone from, you know, using pharmaceuticals or going Mm -hmm. to therapy, those are great tools. But I recommend them all the uh, time. Right. And also there's the alternative of saying, don't don't be so um, Western centric to think yes. that until people got these tools, yes. they had no resources. It's that God not provided an either or. or. Right. And so that by God's grace, God gives us both um, this healing mm-hmm. through the science. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
but also healing in this spiritual work. And I was listening to a great podcast by the liturgists where they were talking with mm. some mental health care professionals and they were just saying like one of the things that we think in Western cultures where we see so much more um, depression and anxiety mm. and all that, that part of these are um, are symptoms of the breakdown of healthy and holy communities, right? Wow. And so, so, you know, we do see more of this because... God created us to live in a certain way in the context of a larger narrative, in the context of a healthy and holy community. Mm-hmm. And we don't, because we don't have these often, mm-hmm. we, we start to see some of these manifestations in individuals' lives. And so there's that. Also, I should just say, I, I think, are you going to call it overcoming? No, 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 no. Okay. That, that's just what I was. Yeah. Because I don't know what I would call it instead, but overcoming seems. It's too wrong. Um, like triumphant. Fit. Yeah, and yeah, too yeah, much, yeah. and I think also too um, like self, like I'm going to overcome this, yes. and that's mm-hmm, you know so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I mean I think it's great because we have to teach people that loving and being loved by Jesus doesn't mean that you're on this like fairy dust strewn path of happiness. Absolutely. All in fact, <laughs> this was I was laughing. I picked up Carrie, who's my youngest daughter, who's three, from daycare the other day, and I'm just making conversation, like, did you have a good day, blah, blah, blah. And and I asked her, which apparently I ask her often, like, well, are you happy? Because I remember my father's mother often Mm. would ask me if I was happy growing up, which I never really understood until after she died. It really came to me in a moment that she asked, are you happy? It was her way of saying, like, I love you or I, mm. you know, I, mm-hmm. or, I don't know. I mean, it was just an expression of love, but, and so I, I ask my kids this all the time. And my three-year-old in the back seat said, mommy, why do you want me to be happy all the time? And I, I mean, it was just a really great question, yeah. right? Because I think sometimes as believers, I mean, as humans, we want to be happy all the time. But that's not the witness of scripture. We are not going to be happy all the time. And I don't even know that we, I mean, we shouldn't be happy in light of the death of Atantiana Jefferson mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in Dallas, nor should we be unable to function. I mean, you know, mm-hmm, just this idea mm-hmm. that we have lots of uncomfortable emotions and all of our feelings are gifts of God and are meant to be used in yeah. particular ways to make us fully alive um, in the image of God. And so I think a lot of humans in general and Christians in particular just feel like, here's what I want to feel, happy, peaceful, (laughs) successful. And any other emotion I have, I just want to like get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I probably shouldn't call it that (laughs) podcast. I just want to get rid of it. And I don't think that we're called to get rid of those feelings as much as we're called to, you know, discern where God is dwelling with us mm-hmm, in them mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how God is redeeming them. Anyway, I'm done talking now. <laughs> so what are you preaching this Sunday? Um, another Amos. Another Amos. Yeah. I've got two more weeks with Amos. Um, justice rolling. This, this Sunday, justice is rolling down. And so, I mean, really a lot of the themes that we were talking about with at the beginning of this conversation and just this idea that, mm. you know, God is... Um, calling, longing to use God's people to create, you know, an an Eden-like culture, society, community. And we are so fearful 
of revolution because when humans do revolution, you know, the winners and the losers change, but the game doesn't change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I think God's people need to be really um, open to the idea that life will be fundamentally different in the kingdom of God. And we need to be longing for that, um, longing for a place where we are our brother's keepers and longing for a place where our highest good isn't pleasure and safety and wealth, mm. but that we, we find joy and satisfaction in different places. And there's so much scoffing about that. You know, I, I think in the larger, in the cultural discussion, there's just you know, you label that socialism or label it mm. utopia. Or I, I mean, I don't know, just so many ways of sort of saying it's, it's, um, it's wrong to long for that. Yeah. And yeah. as a people of God, it's not wrong for us to long for that and anticipate that and mm-hmm. be really clear about saying, you know, these structures that we've created in our own image are are limited and destructive and i don't want to create a new structure yeah <laughs> but i do want justice to roll down like and i would also add that they they are passing away mm-hmm. and so we live with a kind of hope that is easily scoffed at <laughs> right and i just think like when we're threatened by justice mm-hmm. we we need repentance yeah. right like when those yeah. words sound like a threat it means we're standing with the wrong team and so, I mean, justice rolling down like a river does not sound like a threat to the people who have had their loved ones murdered. Yeah. And so if it sounds like a threat to us, then we need some serious self-examination. Mm-hmm. Um, and by we, I mean me. Let me mm. just be clear. I'm talking about myself here. So, um, so yeah, that's it. I think we're wrapping up. We're glad that you all listen to us and give us an excuse to have this conversation. If you want to find out more about our churches, you can Google Jorida Presbyterian Church and get right to their website. And you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org, where our new website should be popping up really soon. And you can hear all of Yolando's really fantastic sermons on Philippians at the Derrida Presbyterian Church podcast on Podbean. And you can hear um, sermons and messages from The Grove if you search iTunes for The Grove Charlotte podcast. So we will talk to you later. Bye.